Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The World's Last Night. My name is James. Today we are in Exodus chapter 19, and it is an interesting one. We have Israel finally coming to uh, Mount Sinai in the desert. Now this desert is actually going to be more like pasture land, so like rolling hills, um, grasslands, that kind of thing, mixed with sort of like dirt and deserty kind of s- stuff. Um, this, they'll call it the wilderness. It's, def- it's not a forest. So we're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to talk a little bit about God's holiness today. And, uh, you know, the difference between being Jewish at this time and approaching God and being a Christian in this day and time and approaching God. So verse 1, in the third month, on the same day of the month that the Israelites had left the land of Egypt, they came, entering the wilderness of Sinai. After they departed from Rephidim, they entered the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and Israel camped there in front of the mountain. So they're talking about Mount Sinai here. Now, we remember, I think it's Exodus 3, but basically uh, Moses has promised that um, they're going to... Israel is going to worship God at this mountain. And so this is the same area where Moses spoke to God, or rather, I guess God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And so we've come full circle. Israel is no longer enslaved. They're freed from that power. And now they are coming to meet God in the same place where Moses was first commissioned to go and rescue them on behalf of God. Verse three, Moses went up to the mountain to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now, if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my possession out of all the peoples, although all the earth is mine. So God is stating that all the earth is his, all the nations are his, but he is setting Israel aside as a special people. Now, we know the word sanctification uh, or consecration. These are words to describe setting aside something for good use or for holy use. And so God is going to do this with an entire peoples through, as we're going to find out, the Mosaic Law. Um, Okay. Now, if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant... You will be my possession of all the peoples, although all the earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So he wants to make a kingdom of priests. Now, a priest, what's interesting about that is a priest is able to approach God. You know, typically a mediary, an intermediary between God and man. In the New Testament, we find out that Jesus is our high priest, and he's greater than any other high priest um, because he always lives to intercede on our behalf. He made the sacrifice on our behalf of his himself and um, lived the perfect life, died the death we deserved, and was raised again. So that atonement was permanent and effective to cleanse us of sin forever. Um, Just interesting tidbit. We'll talk more about that when we get to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. But God wants to make a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we know in the New Testament, this is the same language that I think it's Peter um, uses to describe Christians and the churches of what they are supposed to be. 
So God says, these are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So he's going to tell them all this. Okay. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and put before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together. We will do all the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. So they are committing themselves to God. And as we'll find out, I think it's like 40 days later, they fall away again. But they're going to give it the good college try. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Then Moses reported the people's words to the Lord. And the Lord told Moses, go to the people and purify them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. This is a great, this is a huge thing. This is what everyone always wants, right? Everyone always wants to see, they want to see God. They want to see miracles. And so Israel is about to see this. And it, the reason we're told is that they'll, is so they'll believe Moses, which why wouldn't you already at this point? I don't understand. This is just some serious faithlessness or hard heartedness, but God is bearing with them. All right, he he goes on to say, put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain will be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows. Neither animal or man will live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up to the mountain. So it's this huge deal, right? As a, a human being who is sinful you are not what you would call holy um apart from christ but that's that's different these people don't have that covering they don't have atonement and so really they can't be in the presence of god without some sort of um atonement for their sin um and so it's very serious about you know don't come near this mountain it's sanctified it's holy if you do um, you're supposed to put that person to death. You're not even supposed to touch that person, right? You're supposed to put them to death with arrows. And the same with animals. So very interesting. Very hardcore. <laughs> then Moses came down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. He said to them, Be prepared by the third day. Do not have sexual relations with women. So that's something Moses said, uh, that last part, um, not it's not what God said, so you can take that one of two ways. One, Moses is being overzealous, and Jesus sort of talks about this a little bit when it comes to, you know, giving divorces. Moses gives concessions, and even Paul, like we'll say in the New Testament, I give this command, not the Lord. And so this is a command that we don't see God give the people. It's something that Moses is giving the people. We know that you know having sex with your wife or your husband, your spouse in a committed marriage is actually a good thing, not an evil thing. Paul in the New Testament will say, really, you should have sex very frequently. And the only time that you shouldn't is if maybe perhaps if you both mutually agree um, to dedicate some time to prayer and then quickly come back together so that you won't be tempted. So Paul does give some sort of concession there that's like, okay, if you really, you know, if you're really serious about this, like, and you need you need time to approach God, and you want to purify yourself, and you want to be very um, disciplined, uh, and you want to fast from from sex. Um, you you can, 
And so there's two ways to look at this. One, Moses is giving this law, not God. Two would be, well, this is just like an extra little step that will focus people on God and what they're doing. So, okay. Verse 16. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain and a loud trumpet sound so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Now, I can't imagine how horrifying this is. I don't even like loud thunder in my house, let alone like camping, lightning going on. And then something otherworldly happens because in our world, we have thunder, we have lightning, we have thick clouds and mist. But you know what we don't have? A trumpet blast coming out of the sky or wherever. All these people hear it and they shudder. It reminds me of that horn on, um, oh, geez, the movie. And it was a book and it was a radio cast before any the book or the movie. But uh, it's where these like tripod alien things come out of the ground They'd been there for centuries before humans ever and like aliens beam into them and drive them. And they have this like really crazy sound in the movie. It's directed by Spielberg. You probably know it's know what I'm talking about. Um, but anyways, that sound is like really scary. And every time in the movie you hear that sound, you know, oh, those alien dudes are here. Anyways, that's extraterrestrial. That's not supernatural. Those are two different things. Extraterrestrial meaning, you know, outside of Earth. But, you know, this is a supernatural horn that these people are hearing, and that would indeed scare the pants off you, I'm sure. And so, literally, Scripture's saying they shuddered when they heard this. So, God is coming in a thick cloud with thunder and lightning and a trumpet. So, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the front foot of the mountain. I would be horrified. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. So we have God coming in the form of fire. We have mist. We have thunder, lightning, a trumpet coming out of the sky. Then we have an earthquake. The whole mountain is shaking. These people are peeing their pants. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke. Okay, we already read that. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. I don't even know how to process. I wouldn't know how to process that as a human. This this is otherworldly. All right. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. Then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. The Lord directed Moses. Go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord. Otherwise, many of them will die. I think it's interesting. He says many of them will die. So some of them may not. And it may have to do with some sort, you know, whether or not they purified themselves and did what God told them. The whole thing is about obedience, right? So, okay. Verse 22. Even the priests who come near the Lord must purify themselves or the Lord will break out in anger against them. All of this um, is necessary. And there's a lot of people, you know, Christ, new agey Christians that are all Jesus is, you know, feel good and happy and, you know, grace and mercy and all that and love. And this is true. He has brought all of that. He has actually quenched the wrath of God. That's the whole point in 
the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus is betrayed, he he prays to God, if there's any way to have this cup pass before me, please let it. And we find out there isn't another way. He has to drink the cup of the wrath of God. And he does that on our behalf because it's what we deserve. But he takes that punishment on our behalf. Like someone that would ransom you. You owe a debt you can't pay. It's too steep. So someone has to pay that debt on your behalf. Or else, you know, the debt that we would owe is our own life. And in absorbing the wrath of God, which we deserve. So the other half of it is God is just. God is holy. And you cannot divorce those character traits from, you know, the grace and the love. Because if you don't have a just God, you do not have a merciful God. You cannot have mercy if you do not have justice. Justice has to be in place first. And then mercy is the pardoning of punishment you deserve. That's justice. Justice is receiving what you deserve. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, meaning you earn death by your sin. That's what you deserve, but mercy is a relenting of that punishment. God has to be first and foremost just, and he must be perfectly just. And as such, he is angry at sin. He hates suffering. He hates sin. He hates impurity. He hates all the things that keep us from having a right relationship and being reconciled with him and experiencing the deep love of a father and a child that we should have with him. And we should hate those things too. The Holy Spirit living on the inside of us makes us hate those things. So God has this wrath, and he basically says even the priests who come near have to purify themselves unless the Lord will break out in anger against them. And we're going to find many times in the Old Testament God breaking out in anger against sinfulness. And so there's this sense in the Old Testament and actually throughout all cultures on earth prior to Christ, you find people are always reaching out for the divine and they always think the divine is mad at them. (laughs) And both of those are right uh, inferences. You should reach for the divine. You're made to be reconciled to God. And at the same time, yes, if you are dead in your sin, you are an enemy of God and God's wrath burns against you. Now, he has great love for you also and he died. He sent Jesus to die for his for his enemies, right? Jesus forgave his enemies. So he's, he loves the person that's dead in their sin and he wants them to be saved. But at the same time, in their present state, they are, um, they have God's wrath pointed towards them. So we find all these cultures, you know, people trying to appease deities through sacrifice, you know, sacrifice, you know, even like the Aztecs sacrificing people, doing flower warfare, all that crazy stuff. Um, because they, they do have a right understanding that they have, (laughs) they displease the divine. So it's interesting. That's everywhere. It's not like it just spread from one place. Everyone has this intrinsic conscious understanding that they believe there are certain things that they should do correctly and they fail to live up to those standards. So they automatically are condemned by their conscience. Verse 23, but Moses responded to the Lord, 
The people cannot come up Mount Sinai since you warned us. Put a boundary around the mountain and consider it holy. And the Lord replied to him, Go down and come back with Aaron. But the priests and the people must not break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out in anger against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. All right, so <laughs> we are going to have in, in the next chapter, chapter 20, we're given the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments almost everywhere. Um, in all cultures, you have some version of many of these commandments. Not necessarily the most important ones, but several of them is cross-cultural. And it lets you know that these are divine commandments. These are things that are um, universal and uh, objective. And that is interesting because it means that there is, as C.S. Lewis would argue, a natural law. A firm understanding of a, a natural law. And so we're going to get into that a little bit in chapter 20. We just ended um, chapter 19. What I wanted to talk about, and I got this from the Enduring Word um, commentary, I wanted just to read what they wrote because I really liked it. Because in the New Testament, you know, in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 18 to 24, we talk about that, you know, under the New Covenant, you, we, come up to a, we come to a different mountain. These Israelites are coming to Mount Sinai, and all they see is the just, oh, the, the craziness, the power of God, the, the potential anger of God, the, um, the justice of God. And they don't see those other attributes that, as Christians, you're privileged to see because of Jesus. And in this Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 24, we talk about um, Mount Zion. So the Christian believer comes to Mount Zion and not Mount Sinai. And so in, I'm just going to read this passage from the Enduring Word commentary. It says, Sinai speaks of fear and terror, Zion of love and forgiveness. Sinai is in the dry desert, but Zion is in the city of the living God. Sinai, with all its fear and power, is earthly, but the Mount Zion we come to is heavenly and spiritual. At Sinai, only Moses could come and meet God. At Zion, there is an innumerable company, a general assembly. Sinai had guilty men in fear, but Zion has just men made perfect. At Sinai, Moses is the mediator, but at Zion... Jesus is the mediator, and I love it. That's the best part. That's the best part to me. Moses is a, a type for Jesus in this mediation between the Israel and um, God, whereas Jesus is the, the, the true, better mediator between the church and God. And I'm so thankful that we have him as our mediator. What a, a wonderful mediator he is. Sinai put forth an old covenant ratified by the blood of animals. We'll get to that. Um, Zion has a new covenant ratified by the blood of God's precious son. Sinai was all about barriers and exclusion. Zion is all about invitation. It's not just the priests, not just Moses, not even just Jesus, but all of us are called to the throne room of God. So it is about invitation. He wants everyone to come in. Um, there's something to be said about the Protestant Reformation that's very interesting in that 
it was exclusion. Church was very exclusive. The Catholic Church at the time became very um, uh, classist. You had the clergy class, and the clergy class basically kept out the laymen from God, even right down to only preaching in Latin and instead of the vernacular of what the people could understand. So imagine going to church and someone's preaching in Latin and you don't know Latin, and that's all the access to God's word you ever had. The scripture was read to you in Latin, and they would pervert it. So you didn't, you weren't able to read it for yourself, but the, the Protestant Reformation fixed many of these things and the Vulgate was printed, which is the Bible in the, the um, common tongue of the day. And so you could now have access to, to scripture yourself. And so there, there's this exclusion wall was broken down with the Protestant Reformation and it wasn't always there. It developed into that. The early church didn't have that issue. The church eventually, the Catholic Church developed into that, unfortunately. All right, anyways. Um, and then finally, Sinai is all about the law. As we're about to find out in verse uh, chapter 20, we get the law handed, on, handed down. But Zion is all about grace. So until next time, we'll get into chapter 20 of the Ten Commandments. This is James with the world's last night. 